Well, good morning. I'd like to begin by uh, offering my gratitude to the elders for the opportunity to stand in front of you and preach from God's word. And if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Psalm 74. Psalm 74. We're going to read the first eight verses. Psalm 74, verse 1 to verse 8. The Bible reads, if you are there, O God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your inheritance, and this Mount Zion where you have dwelt. Turn your footsteps toward the perpetual ruins. The enemy has damaged everything within the sanctuary. Your adversaries have shouted their victorious battles in the midst of your meeting place. They have set up their own standards for signs. It seems as if one had lifted up his axe in a forest of trees, and now all its carved work they smash with hatchet and hammers. They have burned your sanctuary to the ground. They have defiled the dwelling place of your name. They said in their heart, let us completely subdue them. They have burned all the meeting places of God in the land. Psalm 74 is not just an example. I believe it is also an instruction of what we must do whenever we are in trouble. And it is that we must seek the help of God. We must pray to God. If we are God's children, we must on that basis come with confidence. We must come honestly to ask for his help as we see the Israelites or the children of Israel do here. But what I would like to concentrate on from this sermon is the question inevitably that is raised by this psalm. Yes, it is true that we must ask for God's help. It is true that we must do so honestly. But if you and I are going to benefit or even interpret God's dealings with each one of us well, we must not ignore the question that is raised by Psalm 74. And it's a question, why would we find ourselves in difficult trouble, circumstances or in trouble? Because yes, you, you notice the Israelites here lift their, their, their voices to the God of the covenant, asking for mercy for his intervention. And they are doing so honestly and passionately, and based on the fact that they are a chosen people of this Yahweh. But why would we find ourselves in trouble such as this? Why would children of God or the Israelites here find themselves in trouble? Please take note that I'm not in any way suggesting that the answer that we will arrive at 
is true for every one of you's circumstance or, or situation. But what I'm saying is that if you are going through some kind of trouble now, if you are going through a difficult circumstance, I am saying there is a reason. And if the reason in Psalm 74 is not yours, then your lesson is to be attentive and learn so that you do not find yourself in this situation. So I'd like to, in this sermon, answer the question, why are you in a desperate situation? I've chosen the word desperate deliberately. A desperate situation is a hopeless situation. It is a situation that is so sad that in your heart and everything about you seems to be saying it is impossible to deal with what I'm going through. Are you going through such a situation? And before we answer the why, it is important that we first answer the what. What is your desperate situation? And, and please note that I am not seeking to define the situation that you might be in right now, but I'm asking what kind or what is it that is causing you sleepless nights? What is it that is at the verge of producing ulcers in you? What is it that you would call this is troublesome? And yes, if you are not in one yet, I need to inform you that one might be coming soon if you have not already been there. So what is your desperate situation? What is it that you are going through? Well, first, we, we must remain faithful to our text. And so it becomes important then that the question first becomes, what was Israel's desperate situation? The word desperate very well describes what the nation of Israel is going through. And I'll ask you to go to our text there, and I want just to read uh, a few verses from there. And while you are following in your Bible, I want to read for you from New Living Translation. Just to cast a bit of light, so that you can hear a more clearer interpretation of what we have here. So let's first read the first three verses. Oh God, why have you rejected us so long? Why is your anger so intense against the sheep of your own pasture? Remember that we are the people you chose long ago. The tribe you redeemed as your own special possession. And remember Jerusalem, your home here on earth. Walk through the old ruins of the city. See how the enemy has destroyed your sanctuary. Go to verse 7. They burned your sanctuary to the ground. They defiled the place that bears your name. Then they thought, let's destroy everything. So they burned down all the places where God was worshipped. We no longer see your miraculous signs. All the prophets are gone. And no one can tell us when it will end. How long, oh God, will you allow our enemies to insult you? Will you let them dishonor your name forever? 
Why do you hold back your strong right hand, unleash your power, power fist, and destroy them? Let's go to uh, verse 20. Remember your covenant promises, for the land is full of darkness and violence. Don't let the downtrodden be humiliated again. Instead, let the poor and the needy praise your name. Arise, O God, and defend your cause. Remember how these fools insult you all day long. Don't overlook what your enemies have said of their growing uproar. What we have here, a chosen people in shame. The place of their worship is in ruins. And when you think of the place of Israel's worship, you are thinking about the mark of their identity. As you read this, you can, you can smell what they are going through in their cry as they plead with Yahweh. A covenant people's identity is in question. And there is no doubt from their language that it will have to take the Lord himself to solve this problem. How do we know? Well, listen to their appeal in verse 12. Yet God is my king from of old, who works deeds of deliverance in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your strength. You broke the heads of the sea monsters in the waters. And they go on and on. And you look at their plea, it becomes very evident that they know where the solution must come from. Almost all the commentators, almost all the scholars, when they come to this psalm, almost everyone has in mind that this is about the time when King Nebuchadnezzar comes and takes the nation into captivity. That should have been around 586 BC. But because this psalm doesn't have that inscription, everyone is careful, and so when they are writing, they'll, they'll say things like, if this psalm is about the Babylonian captivity, and then they go on to make their comments. But why is it that almost everyone narrows down on the Nebuchadnezzar captivity, the situation with the Israelites? Well, it is because of verse 2, verse 3 and 7, Verse 2 says, remember your congregation which you have purchased of old. You have redeemed to be the tribe of your inheritance and this Mount Zion. Look at verse 3. The enemy at the bottom there has damaged everything within your sanctuary, within your temple. Verse 7 there they say the, the, the enemy has burned down the tabernacle or the temple rather or your, the meeting place of your people. And so because of that, everyone is confident that this is the historical background that you are dealing with here. So bottom line, Israel is suffering, and they are suffering so hard. What is yours? What is your desperate situation? Now I know that you know, and I know that if you have already been in one, you know. And I know that depending on the decisions you are making in your life right now, careless decisions, I know that you know what awaits you. 
But human nature being what it is sometimes, you may want to hear suggestions of what that might look like so that you cement in your mind the reality of God and his dealings with us. But I avoided that. I avoided to give you a suggested list of what might be your circumstance because I could leave out one. And if I leave out your circumstance, you might go out thinking you belong nowhere in the plan of God. And so what I did was to, to just think about some of the situations that you and I find ourselves in and what becomes the outcome of those. So if you are going through a circumstance right now, here is what is a reality. If you are yet to go in one because of your careless decisions right now, here is what it will look like. Or if you have already been in one, here is what you have had to go through. You become hopeless, unhappy, disappointed, despairing, heartbroken, weeping, and grieving. Those would be the words that would characterize the outcome of whatever the situation might be yours. And yes, even for you who is not a Christian, you are in a desperate situation. And first by, by inference from our text here, I could say this, and then I'll come to the second reason why I believe you are in a desperate situation, even though in your judgment life may be turning out so well. There are three main characters in our text here, in Psalm 74, 1 up to verse 23. The first is God, who the children of Israel are praying to or crying to. The second is the children of Israel themselves. And the third main character are these enemies. The villain who is here. You can, you, can, you can hear it in their prayer that there is a third person or grouping. And it is these ones who are enemies of God. How do you know they are enemies? They've burned down the temple. And, they, and, and, and as the children of Israel themselves recount the scenario they are in, they are saying, you know what? It would be, what we are going through would be as though you went in a forest and someone had an axe and they literally cut every tree. That's the situation in which we, we are. So there's this third character who I believe is a very good representation of you who might be gathered with us here who is not a Christian because bottom line you are an enemy of God and I'll show you in a moment because everyone here who is a Christian that's who they were so 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 at least this passage suggests that and your desperate situation is you are fighting the almighty God when you are in the shoes of Nebuchadnezzar but the bad news is that you are not a hero in this story. The reason you are not a hero in this story is because even though as, as, you, as you do what you might do against the, the house of God and the people of God, and yes, in your judgment it is you doing it, 
it is you inflicting pain on this person, on that grouping, you are a tool in the hands of God. So you are not a hero. In fact, elsewhere, God in punishing his children is going to call Assyria, for example, and he says, the rod in my hand with which I whip Israel. But I must put scripture to your desperate situation as a non-Christian. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Written in the past tense. is writing to believers about who they were. And I hope I can show you that this is who you are presently. And this is what he says. And you, Christians or if it was you as a non-believer, then the tense changes. It is, ah, you are dead. But just pick it from the past tense and just know that this is your explanation present if you are not a Christian. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working, in the sons of disobedience. There is another description of you, a son of disobedience. And look at chapter 4 and verse 17. Again, talking to believers, but this is what he says. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. How do they walk? In the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they have become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greatness. The reason why Nebuchadnezzar and his people who do what we are reading about here, answer, they are dead. They are hardened in their heart. They, they, they cannot see that this is a battle against the holy people. And so that's your desperate situation. We wanted to make sure that we don't leave you behind in case you, you are tempted to, to, to say, okay, we've escorted the Christians. Let's hear what they go through. These bunch of people who suffer and uh, go through a lot of difficulties, you are in a much more desperate situation than they are. The difference, you can sense it from the Israelites. They know what has gone wrong, and we'll come to that, but they still come back. We are your people. We are your people. Remember the covenant promises. And so that's what makes it better for those who are, not, who are Christians. We go to the second question then. Why are you in a desperate situation? And remember again, so that you are not left behind, if you are not in one right now, it could be lessons you must learn from, but also it could be warning for the future because of the decisions you might be making right now. 
decisions about everything to do with our life, to do with who we are, to do with the society in which we live. So don't ignore to listen to this because you, don't, you can't think of anything you are going through right now. Why are you in a desperate situation? Again, let us be faithful. Why are the people of Israel in a desperate situation? Why is the temple burned down? Why is the enemy saying, let's completely remove them? Why? Simple answer. The Lord spoke and they didn't listen. Go with me to Ezra chapter 5. Ezra chapter 5, we'll read uh, verse 12 together there. The Lord spoke and they did not listen. Ezra chapter 5, verse 12. Let's pick it up from verse 11. Thus, and the context of this is the children of Israel have been allowed to go back to rebuild their their, their temple by a king uh, of Persia uh, called Cyrus the Great at the time. Later on, uh, the enemies go to the present king, who was King Darius, to complain about the rebuilding again of, of this temple. So that's the context. Thus they answered us, saying, these are the enemies telling the king, we are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. Listen now. But because our fathers had provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and deported the people to Babylon. Look at Deuteronomy 28, quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 28. And we will read from verse 58 there. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 58. The Bible says in 58, If you are not careful to observe all the words of this law which are written in the book, to fear this honored and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring extraordinary plagues on you and your descendants, even severe and lasting plagues and miserable and chronic sicknesses. He will bring back on you the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid. Let me skip to 64. Moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone, which your fathers have not known. Why is Israel in this situation? The Lord spoke, the Lord commanded, and they did not listen. By way of application, has God spoken and you have refused to listen? Has God instructed and you have ignored his instructions? Or is God even right now, for you who are headed for disaster, unless this morning the Lord opens your eyes and you say, wait a minute, what am I doing? Are you in a situation 
where you, 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 are, you are gambling with, with the will of God and, and, and you know exactly what he would have you to do and you are refusing? Have you even reached a stage where it has become like it's Ichabod, like the glory has departed from you? You no longer hear even his voice. Well, the children of Israel were there. Verse 9, we do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet, nor is there any among us who knows how long this will be. And Warren Wisby, the late, says this, because this is true when you and I, my brothers and sisters, continue to disobey God. And this is what he says, and I quote, one of God's judgments is to leave his people without a word of guidance because they have refused to follow his will. End of quote. Is that you? Whenever you and I go contrary to the word of God, you know what we are doing? We are like even in the garden. We are doubting the trustworthiness of God's word. And in that moment, whether you believe me or not, it is because you are either believing someone's word or even your own deception, your own fleshly desires than the word of God. That's always what is a reality. Whenever you don't want to do the will of God, you are doubting the trustworthiness of his word. Here's an example of how God's word is trustworthy and we, we, we disobey to our own peril. Look at Genesis with me, chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I know whenever we turn to Genesis, the first doctrine that stands out is the doctrine of creation. But one other thing you must not miss here is that very own in creation or in the writing of scripture, God affirms the trustworthiness of his word. And he speaks, you obey, you are blessed. He speaks, you disobey, there are consequences. In verse 3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. The, the right rendering in the original language of that next phrase is when God said, let there be light, it was as he said it. And you see it in verse 6, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and it was so. And you see it in verse 9, let the waters below uh, the heavens be gathered, and it goes on, and it was so. In other words, everything that God spoke happened exactly as he said it. In the light of that, go to chapter 2, Genesis. And my question is this, in the light of the trustworthiness of God's word, which later on, by the way, in Genesis chapter 18, is going to continue to affirm and confirm that there's nothing that I speak that doesn't happen. When, when Sarah is laughing about whether they can have a child or not, and the angel says, why did your wife laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Again, the right rendering of that phrase is, can God speak and it doesn't happen? 
So in the light of that, chapter 2, verse 15, my question is this. Do you think, in the light of what we have seen, when God said what I'm about to read to you, it was going to happen just as he said it? Verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Listen to this. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Did God speak and did it happen? You know the answer. You just need to go to chapter 3 and you begin to read about the consequences of what humankind found themselves in. So what Israel is going through here is a consequence of not believing God's word. When you have time, go read uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28 to the end. The reason why they are suffering is because God spoke and they didn't listen. Why are you going through a desperate situation right now? Is it because God spoke and you didn't listen? Here are a few statements and questions for you to think about as we seek to apply what we have just talked about. Number one, God said, be ye not yoked unequally with unbelievers. God is saying here the yoke between a Christian and a non-Christian is unequal. I like the KJV. It's unequal. When you first time read that, you might think it's a, it's a contradiction. But the point is, the yoke between a believer and a non-believer is unequal. It's not equal. It is like putting a goat and a sheep in the same yoke. It is like putting a, uh, an animal that high and an animal that, that low in the same yoke. It's not equal. So here is my question. Do you think when God said this and you disobey it, do you think there would be consequences? Okay, see a number of scriptures here, just to Galatians 6 verse 7. Let's go to Galatians together to answer that question. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Galatians 6 verse 7, the Bible says, and I want you to take note of the first phrase there, do not be deceived. I'll say that again. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. In other words, what you put in the ground is what you take out. I don't know if any of you has ever been involved in a miracle where somebody told, Hey, come. You know, I planted maize in my field. Come and harvest the groundnuts here. I don't think so. It is what you put in there that you are going to get out. And he says, don't be deceived. First Corinthians 15, 
First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Very familiar passage, but the context is always helpful. The context is the sermon we have this morning. Again, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. The young people are the biggest culprit with this. Heed the first phrase. Do not be deceived. Remember again, when you doubt God's word, when you doubt the trustworthiness of what God has said, you are either listening to someone's voice, it could be the devil, it could be your parent, it could be your friend, it could be somebody who is giving you wrong counsel. Or you are listening to your own feeling. You know, I have processed through this. I don't know what is wrong with these people. I have thought through this. I, I have weighed all the pros and the cons. We bring in even the language, you know. I have, I, I have investigated this. What are you listening to? Your feelings. Your desires. But remember, it's a deception. Because the Apostle Paul is saying, God is saying through the Apostle Paul, bad company corrupts good morals. You ask Christians who thought they were wiser than God and they ended up in business partnership with a non-Christian and they, they came back crying. You ask Christians who were satisfied with the, uh, uh, what I call the Ngarangansa Church testimony of salvation of uh, their spouse and they said, uh, yes, this is the one. And they come back crying. You ask Christians who thought they were wiser than God. And God warned them. This decision to move from this town to another town is not okay. You ask Christians who thought they were wiser than God. And the, the, the poor young man or the poor young girl who they literally have to harness to go to church, they literally have to force them to go to church, they decide to send them miles away for education and they come back crying. Why? Doubting the trustworthiness of God's word. When God speaks and we don't listen, we end up like the Jews here. Number two, God says we must avoid sexual immorality, adultery, and all sins that go along those lines. If you go against this command, do you think there will be consequences for the disobedience? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9 and 10. Going back to the non-believer and your desperate situation we mentioned for you, here is the seal of your faith. And for non-Christians, you know, for Christians rather, you know the consequences of immorality. I will be careful to make this statement. Not everyone who ended up HIV positive ended up because they were immoral, sexually immoral. But you know it's one of the consequences. 
and many other things. But for a non-Christian, or do you not know, verse 9, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Again, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Here is the good news, verse 11, for Christians. Such were some of you. I hope that phrase is true about you. Because remember, I tell people, if you don't have a history, you are not a Christian. If there is no break between this life and this life. If you can't be spoken of in terms of such were some of you, past tense. Because for some people who claim to be Christians today, this is not how we should speak. Because this is how they are living even today. They claim to be Christians, but they have these hidden corners. They have this life that is just, you, 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 can't, uh, you can't tell who they are. But I hope you, you and I are Christians here and we can spoken of in these terms. Such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of our God. Number three. God says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and mother that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Do you think, young people, or even us adults in relation to our parents, and notice, I'm not talking about submission here. I don't want you to walk out of here and go and have trouble with your husband or wife because you want to get permission from your father to build a house or from your mother to build. That's not what I'm talking about. There's different authority for you for that. It's your husband. I'm talking about honoring our parents. Do you think there are consequences if you disobey this? Matthew Henry, in the comment that I don't have here, says, uh, he says several things and then he, he says, could the untimely deaths of some of our young people be explained by this? And he leaves it open-ended for every one of us uh, to answer. Number four and last. God says, he who believes in me will have eternal life. If you don't believe in him, if you don't repent of your sins, do you think there will be consequences for not believing? John chapter 3, John chapter 3 and verse 18. The Bible says in verse 18, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. Listen to this. But the wrath of God abides on him. We have all sinned, the Bible teaches, and fallen short of the glory of God. The demands of God are so high that none of us can attend to them. If you think of an electric pole for Zesco, 
the demands that God has put on us going to heaven is you must, all of you, jump and hold, attach the top of that pole. And none of you will do it. Oh yes, some of us will jump higher than others. And that's our problem precisely. We begin to compare ourselves to each other and we change the standard of our conversion. We compare ourselves to our spouse. We compare ourselves to, to the neighbor or to my son or to my parents. And we allow that to hinder us to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because I'm better than them. Why are you in a desperate situation? Has God spoken and you have not listened? Has God said there is a way that seems right to man, but the end of it is death? And you have come back and said, I have investigated the way. I, 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 I went on that way. I know what I'm doing. It doesn't lead to death. Has God spoken and you have not listened? I challenge you this morning, if you are a Christian, set your life. Stop this mediocre Christianity. Stop this Christianity that is a cause for blasphemy on Jesus' name. Rise up to the standards that the Bible has put for not only our life in him, but for godliness. For how we must live after we become Christians. Stop this Christianity which has become a joke. Where you don't just disobey your parents, disobey your spouse. You look in the face of God, in, in, the, in the clarity of his word. You can see it in black and white and you still say, no, I'm going ahead. For an unchristian this morning, all that God might not give you peace anymore, all that you would be troubled to come to a realization that you are God's enemy and it's a, it's a, it's a difficult place to be, and that you will repent of your sins today, that you will believe in Jesus Christ and ask him to save you from the wrath to come. Amen.